0: This is the podcast of North Church of God in St. Joseph, Missouri. Let's join Pastor David as he shares biblical truths and insights that will enhance your weekly Bible study. And so let me invite you to stand for just a moment as we read this single verse of Scripture, James chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to invite you to read this together aloud uh, as well as finding it in your Bible. Let us now read together James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. Thank you for reading aloud and for your reverence of God's Word. You may once again be seated. This shall be the focus verse the launching pad for our understanding of the necessity of focusing upon our words, the reality that Scripture teaches, your words matter. In fact, Scripture has much to say about your words. Just to give you a few references here, Psalm 34, verses 12 and 13. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. The psalmist says if you want to enjoy the blessings of God, if you want to have a fruitful life, you must keep your tongue from evil. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He says, if you are a Christian, you don't get to say what you want to say, when you want to say it, how you want to say it. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The writer of the book of Proverbs in chapter 15, verse 28, explains it this way: the heart of the righteous, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The heart of the righteous. James says it this way, you remember from earlier in our passage. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. How many times have you felt the heat rise within you Uh, something happens, someone says something, it hits you the wrong way, it strikes you the wrong way. And instead of taking a beat, instead of taking a breath, no, you open your mouth and evil gushes out. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Sometimes in that experience, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. You see yourself. You see the words coming out of your mouth. You hear yourself saying it, but you just wish you could put it back in. Too often, though, once the toothpaste is out of the container, there is no way to put it back in. And so the wise one, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, the heart of the righteous weighs their response. They consider what they're going to say before they say it, but the mouth of the wicked gushes, gushes like a fire hydrant set free. They just let their words flow. Again, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, sin is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Do you want to be wise? Do you want others to look at you and say, That's a wise person? Then restrain your lips. James says, Bridle your tongue. Again, the psalmist, Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Some of you need to hire personal security, not to protect you from others, but to protect you from yourself. You just need someone to follow you around all day, and when they get the inkling you're about to say something, they just need to clap your mouth shut with their hands and save you some sorrow. Here the psalmist prays, God set a guard over my mouth, keep a watch over the door of my lips. Finally, Proverbs 21 and 23, He who guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from distress. What percentage of your mess is the result of your mouth. I see people looking at one another. My wife looking at me. No, she's trying not to look at me. She's looking down, trying to take her notes. like, don't look at him, don't look at him. She understands that there's a percentage of my mess that is the result of my mouth. But Proverbs says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from distress. Why do your words matter? Why do your words matter? Listen, it is tempting to run straight to the relational answer. It is tempting to say words matter because you can hurt people's feelings. And that is true. Your words affect other people in ways we often take for granted. And so we will explore that aspect of things in sermons to come. But I want you to resist the temptation to read James 1 and 26 and run straight to the idea that your words matter because they affect other people. That's not what James says in this verse. He'll circle back to that later, and so will we. But notice there is something far more significant, something far more foundational, something far more important before you ever get to asking how my words affect another person. James says your words matter because they say something about you. Look at it again. If anyone considers himself religious, we have talked about this word. Perhaps you are just approaching this for the first time. Let me remind you, he is not using the word religious in a negative sense. He's not using it in the sense of a hypocrite or somebody who's religious, clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. No, he's using this word in the best possible sense. If you think you're devout, if you think you are authentic, if you think that you are a true follower and a true believer of Jesus Christ, if you consider yourself to be in right standing with God, and yet you do not bridle your tongue. You do not control your mouth. You just let the words gush out any which way they want to come. He says, you deceive your heart and your religion is worthless. What language, what strong language, what force of language he is calling upon under the power of the Holy Spirit not to condemn you, not to make you think, well, my religion's worthless. I shouldn't give it any attention anymore. The exact opposite is His intention. He is trying to wake you up. He is trying to rouse you from whatever laziness. He is trying to rouse you from whatever worldly comfort. He is trying to rouse you from whatever deception has lulled you into thinking that you can say whatever you want to say and still be right with God. No, it is precisely because of what God has done in your life that your words matter. This, let me put it to you a different way. James here is saying that your words, your words are an indicator of your spiritual health. Your words are indicators of your spiritual health. Before we ever talk about the impact your words have on others, let's talk about what your words reveal about you. Use this as an illustration. Perhaps you have gone to the doctor to get a checkup and he draws blood. The purpose of drawing that blood is so that it can be sent off to a lab, it can be tested, it can be examined, and based upon the findings, it can point to your level of health. And so you set a follow-up appointment with your physician, and he gets the lab report sitting there in front of you, and he begins to go through it, and he says, Okay, looks like your cholesterol's good. Looks like your triglycerides are fine. But then he comes to your A1C and he goes, oh my goodness, this is off the charts. Right now somebody's saying, why are you looking at me? She's using it as an illustration. Or perhaps your lab report comes back and the doctor's face as he's reading through suddenly experiences a change. There, there, there's, a, there's a falling that takes place in his expression and your heart begins to beat a little bit faster and then as he, as he begins to open his mouth, out comes the word, you dread cancer. Why? Because something in the blood test, something in the lab report indicates that there's a sickness, that there's a disease, that there is ill health inside of you. Something is wrong. Now the hope is for all of us that if we are living our lives appropriately, if we are eating healthy foods, if we are getting enough rest at night, if we are exercising moderately throughout the week, then when our blood is tested and the report comes back, it comes back clean. Your desire is that the doctor would say, you are in good health. I see no problems. But, James says, if you consider yourself religious, if you consider yourself devout, if you would think that you are spiritually healthy, and yet, the lab report comes back. We have examined your words. We have examined your speech. We've looked at your texts. We've read your emails. We've listened in on your conversations, both public and private. We have tested and sampled your words and determined something is wrong. Your words are an indicator of your spiritual health. Now, there are at least three things about your spiritual health that your words reveal. We're going to deal with one today. In the next couple of sermons, we'll deal with number two and we'll deal with number three. But here's what I want you to to focus in on today. Your words reveal the condition of your heart. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Your words reveal the condition of... Your heart, the condition of your heart is an indicator of your spiritual health. How is your relationship with your Savior? What is the condition of your heart? Your words become evidence of the condition of your heart. Here's what I want you to understand today from God's Word the heart is the place of desire. Taking notes, you want to write that down. The heart is the place of desire. All that you desire in your life has its origin within your heart. This is the biblical understanding. Every time, I'm going to help you today. Every time you read through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, any verse that you see that references the heart, 9 times out of 10 it is not talking about the organ in your chest that pumps blood. 9 times out of 10 when the Bible mentions your heart, it mentions this it is talking about the place and the origin of your desires. Now the next thing that you need to understand that the Bible teaches you is that your heart from the day you were born is sick. Your heart is corrupt. Your heart has been infected with the disease called sin. This is why the Bible says that evil desires rule and master you from the day of your birth. That even the Apostle Paul says, though I want to do good, though I desire to do good, yet there is a desire, there is a law at work within me fighting that goodness. Instead, I do evil. It is the biblical witness, whether you agree or not. It is the truth of God that the human heart is corrupt apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. King James says it is desperately wicked. Other translations say it is beyond cure. When you were born into this world, Your desires from day one have been corrupted. They have been bent. They have been dismantled and disfigured by sin. Listen, this is why follow your heart is the worst advice you could ever give somebody, especially an unbeliever. Because every time without fail, your corrupted, evil, sinful heart will lead you astray. This is why the songwriter pleaded with God in Psalm 51, create in me a new heart. This is why God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel and promises that one day I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you A heart of flesh. What is he saying? Heart of stone. He says the sinful heart is a hard heart. The sinful heart is a corrupt heart, but the the sinful heart is also a hard heart. It does not want to change. It does not want to do the will of God. It does not care about others. It doesn't even care about you. Your hard, corrupt, sinful heart will lead you down paths of self-destruction. And so God promises that one day He will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What does He mean? He means a soft heart. A heart that can hear His voice. A heart that desires to do His will. A heart that is open and receptive to the things of God. As a sinner, you are in desperate need of a heart transplant. You needed God to change your hearts. part of the joy that comes from being a Christian is knowing that God completed the operation. It was a success. If you are a Christian today, you have a new heart. He has transformed your hearts. And with it, He has transformed your desire. As a Christian, you now have a new heart and therefore you have new desires. It is your desire to love God. It's your desire to please God. It's your desire to serve God and walk in His ways and obey Him all the days of your life. This is one of the things that separates believers from unbelievers. Now then, the next natural question becomes, well, why do I still struggle with sin even as a Christian? And I have an answer for you this morning. Why do you still struggle with sinful desires even after God has transformed your heart? Because when God saved you, He rescued you from the clutches of an evil one. Because when you became a Christian, you defected from the kingdom of darkness. Because when God gave you a new heart, He cleansed you of your sin. He cured you of that disease. But it doesn't want to go away easily. Satan lost you in that transaction and he desperately wants you back. The kingdom of darkness you were rescued from, desperately wants to enslave you again. And so the forces of hell, the forces of evil, the forces of darkness are marshaled together like an army to assault you, to invade you, and to try and recapture you. Christ has rescued you by His death on the cross and His resurrection. Your faith in Jesus Christ has made you new. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are made new. You have received the spirit of adoption that you might now cry, Abba, Father! But Satan ain't just going to lie down and let it be. Now, he has no power that can rival or overcome the power of your great and awesome God. But that don't mean he ain't an idiot. Because he is an idiot. Because what is the definition of idiocy and insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And yet Satan is trying over and over and over again. He's throwing grenades. He's throwing fiery arrows, the Scripture says. He's trying to set traps for you. He's trying to send in spies to infiltrate and get through your defenses and set up camp. He's sending terrorists your way. Everything he can do to try and re-poison your heart to try and disease your heart, to try and recapture and enslave your heart. This is why you struggle with sin. He wants to steal you back. 1 Peter 2, verse 9-11. through The glorious news of what it means to be a Christian, Peter writes to you, you are a chosen people. If you're saved today, it's because God chose you it's because he loves you it's because he's called you by name he goes on to say that you are a royal priesthood you have a purpose and a role to serve in god's kingdom you are a holy nation he has cleansed you he has made you new he has given you a new lease on life you are a people for god's own possession god has looked at you and said mine 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 Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says all of that to remind you who you are in Jesus Christ. And then he says, beloved, I urge you abstain from the desires of the flesh, which wage war against your soul." So the good news of the Christian life is that your heart has been transformed. This is a miracle that God Himself does for you. He has transformed your desires, given you a new heart. Now makes it possible for you to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But now you believe, and therefore you can please Him. But Satan will not let you go lightly. And so, all through the day and all through the night, he is trying to wage war against your soul. What now is the connection between your heart and your mouth? Bring it back to James chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 12. What then is the connection between your mouth and the condition of your heart? I remind you, as I have done throughout this series, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James, who did not at first believe his own brother could be the Son of God, became a believer when Jesus rose from the dead. Made me a believer too. Made you a believer. And so now James, as pastor of the church so often in his letter, points us back to Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33-37, Jesus clearly establishes the connection between your mouth and your heart. He clearly demonstrates how your words are indicators of your spiritual health. Listen, Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Would you say good fruit? Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. Would you say bad fruit? Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Jesus says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and your fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. For a tree is known by its fruit. If You go out and you find an orange tree. Oranges scattered all around the ground. You can stand there until you're blue in the face pointing to that thing and say lemon tree. But it ain't going to change the fact that's an orange tree. Jesus goes on then to say, speaking to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Here it comes. For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. King James says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. He goes on to say, The good man brings good things out of his good store of treasure. And the evil man brings evil things out of his evil store of treasure. Verse 36, But I tell you, that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Sit with that for a moment. That got heavy quick. One second, Jesus is talking about trees, and He's talking about fruit. And then He kind of takes a right turn to talk about them hypocrites. Okay, great. They're evil. They can't do nothing. But then He points the finger right back around to you right back around to me. And he says, there's coming a day when you stand before the judgment seat of God when not only will he examine whether you have accepted his son as your Savior, but he will examine, he will run a blood test on your words. And you will be called to give an account for every careless word you have spoken. By your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Is it because I said certain words? Is it because I said bad words? Is it because some words are better than other words? No. Go back. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your words are an indicator of the condition of your heart. So as we prepare to close, and in just a moment we will stand and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to examine us I instruct you this week, I told you last week, I'm going to give you the same assignment this week. Pay attention to your words this week. Run a blood test on your words this week. Do your words indicate good spiritual health? Do they reflect the condition of a heart that has been transformed and changed and strengthened? to reflect the character and the nature of your savior or do your words indicate that satan has found a crack and that he's beginning to get a foothold in some area of your life do your words indicate that there is a sickness growing or a sin besetting you in either event you can either give god the glory because you've got a good Good report or you need to fall on your knees and invite the Holy Spirit to do whatever work he needs to do in your heart you need to come under the submission of the scriptures you need to run to your brothers and sisters in Christ and confess to them and say pray with me and help me and let us grow together because I'm telling you friends if you consider yourself religious but you do not bridle your tongue Jesus says, for by your words, you will be acquitted when they reflect the work God has done in your heart. Or by your words, you will be condemned if you are not surrendering to his word. We have a great and wonderful opportunity starting this Sunday and the next several Sundays as we focus in step by step deeper and deeper. Let us become responsible for our mouths. Let us take responsibility for our words and let us surrender them to God that they also might be transformed for His glory. Here's how I want to end. Stand with me. This is the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 19, verse 14. This is a verse committed to my memory after much use. I want to offer this verse to you today. In just a moment, we're going to read this verse aloud. I want you to read it as a prayer. After that, we're going to close our eyes. I want to give you just a moment of quiet time for the Lord to work within you. We will then dismiss and go. Every week that we're in this uh, discussion about words, we're going to say this at the end of our service. Because as I read it to you now, listen first. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I'm not going to preach this whole verse to you, but I want you to understand the psalmist acknowledges that God is our strength and God is our redeemer. You are not alone in the process of sanctifying your mouth, God is your strength. He is the one that bought you. He is the one that rescued you. He is the one that redeemed you. And He is the one that will strengthen you and guide you and teach you and enable you to please Him with your words. You are not doing that on your own, but you have a responsibility to ensure that the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart are pleasing in His sight. So let us now say this aloud together. As we say this aloud together, let it be your prayer and your commitment. After that, we will close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment of silent reflection. And then I will close this with a final word of prayer. Let us read together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Lord. Even as the child who calls out, Dada, we call out to you now as our Father, as our Lord, as our strength, and as our Redeemer. You are calling us in this season to pay special attention to our words, but not only that, to the condition of our heart. We praise you for the work you have done in us. And how you have transformed us. We are no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. And we do not fear Satan. We do not fear the forces of darkness and of evil. We acknowledge their assault upon our hearts. But we pray now for the power of your Holy Spirit, for the wisdom of your word and for the accountability of our brothers and sisters. Hold us fast, we pray. Teach us in the right way, we pray. Show us our words, Lord. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, we pray. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen. Amen. I love you, sweetheart. North Church of God is located in St. Joseph, Missouri. For more information, go to northcog.com. That's N O R T H C O G.com.